Welcome to Game & Watch with Aaron and James, the show where we talk about games we've been gaming and movies and TV shows we've been watching. Uh, I am Aaron, uh, joined as always by my host. I'm James. Glad to uh, be here. I I am. I would say I am. Um, you sound hesitant. Uh, well, we'll get to that. Um, our topic today is, is a film. Uh, it's a film we both enjoy, and I would say there are enjoyable things about this film. Uh, but it's a mixed bag. Today we were talking about the uh, science fiction epic of 1997. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I laugh um, because I don't know if I would call it an epic. Would you call it an epic? I think there's epic ideas. I think I think there's a parallel universe where this was an epic. Um, we can we can talk about that. But yeah. today's today's film is Event Horizon. Yes. And I, I'm just going to go on a limb and say, based on the tone you have when delivering the introduction of that movie, that I like this movie a little bit more than you do. Uh, we'll get to it. I, okay. I, I, I think you might like the finished product more, but I think I really, really like the ideas. And I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, compete as to who likes what aspects more. I just mean like, I do, I, I, I that's what I mean. I might like the finished product more than you. And maybe that's because I too love the ideas and we'll, I got, we'll obviously talk about that more. Um, and I think that maybe I bring a little bit of my, ma- my imagination into it and I ignore some of its faults and I would call it, I mean, I, I acknowledge the flaws um, of the finished product. I just, I've, I very much enjoy this movie and always have. Uh, uh, I hear that you have a better imagination than I do. Uh, I don't know who's telling you that. Um, certainly not me. Um, but, you know, I, this is a movie that, it, I don't know. It, it, there's a, there's this kind of like run of nineties bad movies, nineties, bad horror. Um, and what's funny is that I think another one of them um, in the mouth of madness, uh, you know, has a cast member in, in common. I was going to say also a Sam Neill joint. Yeah. And Sam Neill joint yeah. Lovecraftian, but yeah, I don't want to spoil the rest of this episode. So um um, how did we get here? What are we doing? How did we get here? Well, we, what happened is we had this nice British gentleman named Paul W.S. Anderson who directed this little picture called Mortal Kombat. And that skyrocketed him to, that's maybe not the best word. It's not the most accurate, but he got a little, got a little famous um, for doing that. He got offered, you know, certain movies. I think he got offered X-Men, uh, turned it down wanted to make a R-rated horror movie. Now, uh, that is an alternate timeline I would absolutely visit. I would uh, I, I would, would too. I would absolutely want to see a Paul W.S. Anderson X-Men film and see how the next 25 years of superhero films turned out if they exist at all. Yep. Um the other thing too is Mortal Kombat was made on a budget of about 12 million dollars and made I think 180 million. Yes. It made like 10 times back yep. and more uh, the budget. So uh, Hollywood saw this guy and whether or not he was talented. And one day we'll do Mortal Kombat because it's very yeah. watchable. Very. Um, but they saw this guy and they saw a guy who could make them money. And so with Event Horizon, uh, with a budget of, I think it was like 60 million or 80 million, uh, they. 60. 
yeah, they threw they threw him a bunch more money, and it shows in some places, and it does not in others. Yeah, but they had a lot of faith that this guy could do a repeat of Mortal Kombat uh, and make a massive budget on uh, on his film. Yeah, and I think that or I'm that, sorry, ma- massive profit. That money is put to some very good use. Um, and also some not great use, and we'll get into that in a bit more detail. So anyway, the director of this movie is Paul W.S. Anderson. The writer is Philip Eisner, who basically never wrote anything again. So he's just not notable. Um, uh, he does teach screenwriting, which I have to question. If y- your only major film is Event Horizon, do you really have any kind of business teaching screenwriting? You're asking the wrong question. The question is, would you take that class? And the answer is yes. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the cinematography, this is something I actually didn't know beforehand, um, was done by a guy named Adrian Biddle, who did Aliens. Oh, he did? Yeah. I mean, I, that's, How so, about we- that? that's, that's so weird. I, I, there's almost nothing in this film that's anything like the Alien franchise. I, I don't even know what that movie is. Uh, yeah. I was hoping you'd tell me. Um, so a little bit more about the development. So in the first iteration of the screenplay, if I read this correctly, I, you know, I'm, I'm regurgitating some of this from Wikipedia. Some things I look outside for interviews, just for full transparency to our potential listeners. Um, The event horizon was a cruise ship and there were tentacle aliens appearing from another dimension. And uh, Paul W.S. Anderson didn't like that. Rewrote it. Um, well, yeah. yeah, but he rewrote it because the idea of a cruise ship that is attacked by tentacular aliens from an alternate dimension was, quote, too close to alien. <laughs> I, I, I read the same quote and I laughed out loud because I, you know, not that I don't like this movie. I love it. I would love to see the cruise ship tentacle alien movie. Well, I mean, possibly more. That idea is so far away from alien and then what we get here at least just looking at it if you showed me a picture of this and like downgraded the film quality to be the same as alien in the time it was made Mm -hmm. especially some of like the backgrounds and sets i couldn't really tell you which was which (laughs) yes (laughs) so the idea that he was just so flummoxed and outraged that a script could be too much like Alien, and then he goes and makes this. It's, yeah, yeah, it's kind of odd. The finished product is quite interesting, and I think possibly more interesting to me, maybe, is how kind of maligned the production was, and not necessarily like throughout the production. It sounds like you know there weren't any like major bumps along the road, other than the fact that they were spending a lot of money, and there was a lot to do, and they promised to have the movie done by a certain time because Paramount Pictures wanted a movie to compete or at least make some money before titanic got released and so they instead of the normal like i think 10 week editing schedule they were given six weeks to edit the movie but they still the second unit did not finish in time and so they only ended up having about four weeks and the rough cut of the movie was so bad audiences hated it Uh, it was too gory we'll definitely talk about that a little bit more uh paramount didn't like it and they asked for a lot more to be cut and now we are left with a 96 minute movie which is fun i think find that funny especially because you use the word epic uh a 96 minute movie that it's funny because there's i there's potential you want to see more of certain things and less of others i i watched when i watched it this time i thought yeah you should cut that cut that cut that and if at the end of the day you probably would be left with like an 80 minute movie if you cut everything that i think you should cut 
but obviously it'd be nice to add a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit more about the lore uh, and some more Lovecraftian elements would be nice. Yeah. I, I go back and forth. I was thinking about this a lot today. Um, what could have saved this and at what point in production could this have been saved either in the writing stage, in the directing stage, in the editing stage. And I honestly don't know. And I think a lot yeah. of that ignorance comes from not having the like quote unquote director's cut because there are descriptions of scenes, uh, but not anything really explicit and not anything substantial. And so without seeing that, I don't know what that would add to the movie uh, mm -hmm. besides like in big broad terms. So I, I don't know. I, I, I truly don't know. Was it the editing? Was it the writing? Was it the direction? Uh, I definitely think there was some studio interference yeah. uh, in like maybe a couple parts that are particularly egregious that we can talk about. Mm -hmm. um, but overall, I, I, yeah, I, I think this is savable. I just don't know where. Yeah. And, and I was thinking about this as I was watching that even if it was savable and even if there was like a potential director's cut or anything like that, I'm not totally convinced that this director is the director to have made the best version of this movie. And obviously, you know, you could have some great director, you get to throw like Ari Aster in there making this kind of movie, but I don't quite, I'm not totally convinced that Paul W. Sanderson was capable of making a substantially better movie. And what I mean by that is that, you know, that original cut, or let's say you gave them all the footage, which apparently there's so much footage miss missing, so we'll never get the director's cut. But if he had all the material he possibly could need to make a director's cut right now, I'm not convinced that that's a good movie. And I, I don't mean like good, like, you know, I, I wouldn't call this movie a great movie, but I really enjoy it. I don't know if that director's cut is actually going to be good at all. I, yeah, I agree. Um, and again, this is one of the things I was thinking about. There are parts where I'm like, I'm 95% sure that this is the studio coming in in this moment being like, yep. you have to put some kind of levity here or, you know, put a comedy beat or something like there are spots where I'm like, this feels like it was producer meddled, but also looking at Paul W.S. Anderson's other films. And I, truth be told, really only seen the first Resident Evil movie. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I like, I don't know if that's him or if he is just very uh, amicable to like production meddling mm -hmm. um, because the first Resident Evil film, which again, we will also at some point do um, it just has a lot of those moments as well. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's him. I, and what, when we get to talk about what works and what doesn't later on, like he as a director is very strange in that, I feel like he tries to mash genres together and it does, it does not work at all. And yeah. I really think you need to calm down uh, and not throw glasses across the room. We're having a civil conversation. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would be cheese or cat uh, knocking things over. We'll see if she keeps doing it. Um, so I guess notably, you know, when I, I took a lot of notes, um, not as much as I usually do, but a lot of my notes have, there are notes on like the, some of the shots in this movie being really great. Um, but I don't think I took a single note that would be a credit to the directing. So uh, I don't yeah, know. yeah, I would say that's fair. Yeah. Um, so what was your first experience with this movie? 
Um, so my first experience with this movie was on a sleepover in second grade to, uh, ah. I, I, I believe the museum of natural history. Oh yeah. Uh, or it was a boy Scouts one. So maybe you were there. I don't know. Um, it was either, yeah, it was either the natural history museum in Chicago or the museum of science and industry. It's the one with the, um, Egypt exhibit where it's the actual pyramid that you can kind of run around and hide and play in. Nice. I mean, this was 30 years ago, so I don't yeah. know, you know. Um, but I overheard one of the other kids talking about this movie and his dad had taken him to see it and it was really freaky and it scared him. And I just kind of for years knew Event Horizon as that kind of like spooky, creepy space movie. Uh, but no one really talked about it. And then I didn't actually see it until I was probably, I don't know, 15, 16. And mm -hmm. I was in a Blockbuster and back in the day, Blockbuster would sell uh, old, you know, movies and sometimes games um, for insane prices. Like, I think I bought the DVD of this for like $15.99 in, you know, like 2005, which yeah. in, to in today's money is like $4,000. Um, but I just remember seeing it on the shelf and being like, oh, I can buy this and watch it finally. And I bought it and watched it. And I was like, yeah, because I was 16. Uh, and then from then on, I went on and saw better films, but always had kind of a fondness for this. Uh, and to this day, it's kind of one of those movies I throw on when I'm sick or I'm home and not feeling well for whatever reason, mm -hmm. or I put on in the background. Um, I've probably seen it like 10 times. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not a movie I saw, obviously, first run. It was 1997. It's not a movie I really sat down and critically watched as an adult until I did it what like 1.5 times mm -hmm. this podcast um and my opinions definitely have changed and we can kind of save that for uh what works and what doesn't okay but I think that if you are really critically watching this film it doesn't not work I think yeah. if you kind of uh are 15 and looking for a good time in sci-fi horror and uh alien is too intellectual for you at that time uh you you could do much worse yeah i you know it's funny you talk about having seen it so young because i was talking to another friend of mine the other day and, and so he like me also saw it very young i was I, maybe i was 12 i, I might have been younger actually and I remember having nightmares. I don't remember where I saw it exactly. It, it was it was either on TV or I saw it at a friend's house at a sleepover. I, I honestly can't remember. But I remember being very disturbed. I thought it was one of the most disturbing movies I had seen at that time. Granted, I hadn't been really watching any other horror movies. I think the only horror movie I had really seen up to that point, or at least one that really resonated with me and, and gave me nightmares and scared the crap out of me, was Night of the Living Dead, the original. Um so I, I, this was a pretty intense jump, I remember, um, from what I had seen before this. And what's also kind of interesting is that there are some, like, vi disturbing visuals in this movie, obviously a lot gorier than the likes of, like, PG-13 movie, like Men in Black. But I bring up Men in Black because Men in Black has its own creepy elements, too. And I saw that, you know, pretty young. It came out when, or I think maybe the same year, maybe, if not, maybe the year before. Um, and so, you know... This was a big deal to me to see this. And I, and I certainly, despite the fact that it scared the crap out of me, I was super, super intrigued by it. And, you know, as a non-intellectual at the time, not really looking for anything intellectual, I was 
captivated by this and I really wanted to watch it again. It's possible that some of my lingering love for this movie, and I honestly will say love because despite its glaring, glaring, hilarious, sometimes, sometimes frustrating faults, I kind of, I do think I love this movie. It's so silly, but it has so many great ideas that I've only grown to appreciate more and maybe i'm just like i kind of hinted at before maybe i'm just in love with the movie i want this to be rather than the movie itself but every time i rewatch it and i used to rewatch it so much more like try to rewatch it once a year at least i i you know i still look at it fondly um maybe a little bit less now than i did before but there's a lot of nostalgia for it and there's still a lot that i i care very much about and you know i should also note that you and I probably might have liked this movie more than the critics did, which it was not very well received um, for reasons that we will get into. Well, I mean, critically or, you know, in terms of audience reaction, yeah. uh, it kind of panned. Uh, I think they were expecting this to make Mortal Kombat money. It did not. Uh, I don't think it made back its budget uh, by kind of a large margin. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't do super great. I will say one of the things, and when we get to uh, characters, I think that not redeems the movie, but definitely maybe is part of why we both really like it, mm-hmm. is I think the casting is very strong. Yes. Uh, and this movie I, does not deserve this good of casting. No, no. And I think this is where a lot of the budget went. But I think it goes into the uh, younger mindsets. And we talked about this before on other episodes, but that idea when you're young, that if you see something like it must be good. Uh, and seeing this as a teenager, I kind of moved a little bit beyond that, but I wasn't yet beyond the idea that if I see something with people I think are talented and good or made by people that are talented and good, uh, like it can be bad. Like I think seeing Sam Neill, who I love, I love Jurassic Park. It's my favorite movie of all time. Seeing Lawrence Fishburne, I had seen the matrix, which again, at 16 kind of blows your mind. Like I saw all these people and it looked like the production design of Alien and Aliens, which I had seen and I knew were very good movies. Yeah. I think just seeing those things, I just assumed that it must be good um, and kind of went with that. And only later as an adult realized like, uh, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 the casting is very strong and I guess this is a good transition into some of this casting. So it's just a really, really brief introduction and overview of the plot of this movie. So we start aboard the ship, the Lewis and the Clark, Lewis and Clark, the Lewis and the Clark, uh, Lewis and Clark, um, which is headed on a mission that not everybody is aware of uh, right away. Only one person is currently aware of it. That's Dr. William Weir played by the one and only Sam Neill. And the crew of the Lewis and Clark go into hypersleep for, I don't know how long, quite a while. And when they come out of hypersleep, they are by Neptune. And Dr. Weir uh, tells them that they are there to investigate the disappearance of the ship, the Event Horizon, which was allegedly developed as a kind of exploration uh, research vessel. Um, and went missing all of a sudden. There was one last transmission that was received and Lewis and the Clark has been sent to go get it. 
Uh, and we know kind of immediately this is a horror film because yes. Weir, Weir has, it opens with a kind of a strange, uh, horrifying dream vision that kind of doesn't connect to anything or maybe, which we can talk about. Uh, and then he has visions of like a dead woman. So we'll get to that more later, but it kind of sets up that beyond the sci-fi setup, this is a horror setup as well. Yes. And there is a kind of a continuous, um, I don't know what to call it, a theme of, of we're having a connection to the event horizon. Um, it is, it almost has the ability to mess with his dreams or mess with his, um, his mind, even from across space. I mean, I would say the word almost is giving we're a lot of credit. You're, uh, you're I, right. I, I, I would say it does. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this crew is taken off, was taken off leave and sent on this mission. They didn't know why. I, you know, for some reason, I find it despite the fact that this is a classified mission, as Weir explains to them, it's kind of interesting that they were not told what the mission was until they went into hypersleep and ended up near Neptune, and then they're told why they're there. I just, I don't know. I, I kind of chuckled at that, but maybe that's maybe that makes sense. I mean, I'm fine with that because we have to have a vehicle for him to explain everything. Uh, and yeah. additionally, he you know explains how the event horizon travels through the use of a black hole and he uses a porno magazine because <laughs> Hey, Hey, they're tough space guys. This is like porn. Yep. This is one of those. So to kind of segue into that. So this when what William Weir, William Weir, I'm just going to start calling him Dr. Weir or Weir. Uh, what Dr. Weir tells them when they all got out, got out of hypersleep again is that the event horizon disappeared and then a transmission was found. What he also tells them is it wasn't a research vessel. It was made uh, as a way to create a dimensional gateway to jump across space. Uh, there was this thing called the gravity drive that Dr. Weir himself built and equipped the event horizon with this. And so right off the bat, you know, everyone's kind of skeptical about this because like, apparently the event horizon was, uh, the disappearance of the event horizon was well known. And the final transmission received from the event horizon is pretty disturbing and actually kind of taps into something that I very much enjoy usually in horror movies, which is the kind of like last footage scene from the people that disappeared or the last audio scene by the people who disappeared. I, I also like that as a trope, but I think the the specific line that is said becomes very problematic in a yes. logical way later on. Yes, it is. Um, I would, so the, you know, one of the crew members, DJ played by the incredible Jason Isaacs, the, the morose Jason Isaacs in this movie. Um, he, he hears a translation. There's a bunch of screaming and then you, there's a little bit of dialogue that, um, he's able to make out in Latin. And I think he says, liberate me, save me, which in a kind of hilarious, you know, roundabout way, you know, we come to find that that's not exactly what was being said. And, and suddenly, you know, he gains the ability to hear other words in the recording and you find out that it is not at all what they think they were saying. Um, it's a big whoopsie. It's a big, big whoopsie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what happens next? So they come across the event horizon, they find it. Um, and th now is a good time. To, let's talk about the event horizon as a ship. Because they, they find the ship and they board it. They look for life forms. And as this is a little bit kind of blunt of the movie. I, I still kind of like it. It's, 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 you kind of roll your eyes, but you also kind of like it. They do a light, uh, scan for life forms and they don't find any kind of like 
you know, centered uh, or focused like scan of life forms, but the entire ship is reading as a life form, which yeah, they're going to hit us over the head with this a lot. I kind of liked it. Uh, I, I don't, uh, we'll get to it, but, um, (laughs) let's, let's camp out on the actual design of the ship for a moment because it both becomes significant in the plot. Uh, but also just in terms of design. Yeah. You might, oh yeah, you did. You probably did the same research I did about the design of the ship. Uh, I didn't. Um, so feel free to tell me, but I will just say in like, in terms of impression, I, I like it. It looks like a big, either bird of prey or penis or both. Um, yeah. and I think it's very intimidating. I think as far as like a sci-fi ship, I think it looks really cool. Um, totally of, unnecessarily long and a uh, well, ship. I, you know, I would say, ways. I, I would argue, no, I don't no? think it's unnecessarily long. Why? Uh, later. We'll talk about it later. Okay. Uh, for plot reasons. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's some interesting facts about the design of the ship. So Paul W.S. Anderson took a trip to Paris and was really fascinated with the Gothic architecture of the Notre Dame Cathedral. And what he did is he took that cathedral, elements of it, and kind of pulled parts out and kind of re- like reshaped them and rearranged the Notre Dame Cathedral into the event horizon there's a, there's pieces of that cathedral in the event horizon he, he even specifically said that the towers from the cathedral became the engine thruster pods um i would not have guessed that but i definitely think there's something um kind of gothic and imposing in a sci-fi way about the mm-hmm. ship uh i i think it works i like it um, but I don't know. What do you think? I I generally like it. I think it's a little silly looking in how long the corridors are that separate the engineering in the back from the crew in the front. Um, yeah, but dude, if they have to blow the ship, they need like a long empty passage. I, I get, I get that. I it's maybe not that long. Maybe maybe I'm exaggerating how long it is in my mind. But no, it's very no, it is long. It's very um, long. It's long. So anyway. Um, so they land on the ship, uh, they split up as you do in a horror movie. Uh, they find the crew dead and there's actually a kind of a neat shot. I think it, it, again, it's, it really beats you over the head, but there's a shot where you kind of just see like blood and viscera just up on the walls, like sticky. And I don't know. I like that kind of stuff. It, it reminds me of like a video game where like a video game is trying to tell you, Hey, something bad happened here. And there's just blood everywhere. Well, and yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it would be one thing if they just found like a bunch of bodies, uh, you know, like floating around uh, they, yeah, they specifically find very horrifying viscera smeared uh, like on vents, I guess. I don't know yeah. what those are, um, but I, I love that. I love yeah. that image. I love that idea that is so much better than just finding dead bodies because Agreed. not only did something happen here, that's horrible. Um, it's like this next level of really, really awful. And I think it does a good job of between the message. That's just kind of people screaming and horror and finding this uh, as a viewer, you're like, what the fuck happened here? Yep. Um, when we get to it, it's kind of silly and crazy. Uh, but just finding these pieces uh, is great. Yeah. 
So the engineer of, well, actually, before I get to that, the bodies that they find are frozen and sort of mauled and many or all don't have any eyes. Um, and that the, there's a whole thing in this movie has with eyes, which I do we need like eyes to see like, where we're going? No, we don't. <laughs> we don't. I have a note on that line later. Um, I actually have a bullet point on my notes that just says eyes. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I, as someone who is kind of weak in some ways to body horror, um, the idea of, of someone being eyeless or what could have happened to a person's eyes does get to me but this movie does cross into very silly territory when it comes to eyes agreed um so the chief engineer of the lewis and clark justin who's basically like a young boy well yeah which is kind of odd again i think the casting is pretty great i think even the even the no names because justin i don't know what else he's been in he's kind of a no name yeah i think he does a really good job uh it's it's weird that he's so young. They kind of play into that a lot with his they character. Do. The whole a, mama bear relationship. Yeah, in a really weird way. Yeah. I just, I don't know why they couldn't make him like a rookie. I don't know why he's the chief engineer. I guess I do because of what he does, but that is also silly and stupid. Yeah, but, but I, I'm not sure if you, I've known you for so long and I actually don't know if you've ever talked about this. I'm not sure if you're a uh, Star Trek, the next generation fan, but he I, reminds me uh, very much of um, Wesley Crusher. Um, who, you know, is he, he works in engineering. He's not the chief engineer, of course, but you know, he's smart in many different areas, sometimes annoying, but that's, uh, that's who he reminded me of. I, yeah, I have no experience with that, but I mean, okay. they, I mean, considering all the, homages slash ripoffs this movie has uh to other things uh it might be that Hmm. well either way justin silly young dumb justin finds the gravity driver i guess they even call it the core which is let's talk about that design really quick so i mean you might be able to describe it better than i can there it's a essentially a bunch it's like three two or three concentric rings with like a sphere like a like a metal sphere in the big in the middle and those rings kind of circle around that sphere. I mean, yeah, uh, in a yeah, in a geometric sense. But yeah. I mean, the the actual core and the chamber it's in looks like if Hot Topic and yes. the and the Alien Queen had sex. Yeah, uh, that that is what would would come out. Yeah, um, it's it's like black. It's covered in spikes for seemingly no reason. Um, there's like a there's a water pit for unknown reasons besides looking cool in the last fight yeah um it's it's very i think could be cool and when we get to what this film could have been uh, i think there's a way that it could it could have worked yeah but uh practically it's very silly it looks menacing but if you stop and think about it for five seconds it, it it's very dumb yep uh, um there's a black hole in the center that justin will later enter yes um the black hole is kind of bad 1997 cgi oh there's a lot of that in this there's a lot of coolant floating around and tools and such when they land and it's all very bad dated cgi but yeah you, you and forgive it well i mean yes and no i think sometimes in movies especially horror less is more and i think if they never show the black hole um i think it would have been more i think if they opened up the black hole 
later and you only saw the concentric rings from like the shell yeah. from from behind uh as characters approached it or the side i think that would have been more effective you're right i think i think it just looks distracting and silly i think the whole room does um yeah that's a good point and i'm, I'm with you on the less is more and and it's it's interesting because i think this movie actually does do a pretty good job with the less is more in in many moments it certainly it has some restraint more restraint than some horror movies i've seen that might attempt to do the same thing um you know again it's not perfect uh, by any means not even close um so you know justin gets sucked into this uh portal um and he's rescued by cooper another kind of no name actor at the time and maybe still um I've has... I've actually seen him in a bunch of like random stuff, like a lot of oh, TV yeah? stuff. He, yeah, he's not a fantastic actor, but no, I, yeah, I've I've seen him and stuff. I think he's by far the weak link uh, yeah. in this cast. Um, I don't think that's necessarily his fault. I think it's the way his he's written, and I think it's some moments he gets. Um, I'm not a big Cooper fan. I agree. Um, I think that he is definitely a the weakest character and not well written but he kind of there's like a all of these kind of movies have like a cocky member of the crew it's it's often the pilot i think but not in this case um and i think that he kind of fills that role well i had like examples in my mind of equivalent characters in other movies but i just i cannot okay well actually here's one um so and it's not just a cocky character. Sometimes there's a character who is like hitting on the female crew members in a very like sometimes dated way. And I don't know if you've seen the movie and maybe we, I forgot if we watched it together or not. Leviathan. Uh, it's a 1989 horror movie with a little bit of Lovecraftian influence too, uh, starring Peter Weller. Anyway, Daniel Stern or David Stern, Daniel Stern, I think the guy who plays Marv in Home Alone, he plays this exact same basically the exact same type of character as Cooper, but with better dialogue, but it's the same style. Like every, every one of these crews has these like space crews or something, you know, underwater station or space station crew. They all have this kind of character. Yeah. Uh, but I think the way to make that character work is to make him hyper capable. Yes. Um, Cooper is barely capable. That's um, true. He saves Justin and he has another moment where he saves himself but neither one I thought was cool and it doesn't really show him knowing much or being a badass. Yes. He just kind of yanks on a rope uh, to save Justin. And then he does something very silly later. Yeah. So, you know, Cooper rescues Justin. They kind of go back to the Lewis and Clark and Justin and Cooper talking about how the, well, actually, yeah. How uh, the drive turned on by itself. And Weir, of course, says that's impossible. Um, but in, in that kind of way that, you know, the average actor could probably do, but Sam Neill always, you know, is more than capable of selling. He very clearly thinks that it is possible that it could have turned on by itself. He, he doubts, you know, but he's, the whole movie, Weir is telling everyone not to worry while being very bad at hiding the fact that he is concerned about what's going on, but also morbidly intrigued. Yeah, but I mean, like to no to no end, really. 
Really, um, no and end at all. To to no end, and just keep going. We'll we'll talk about. Yeah. It. So people start hallucinating um, dead loved ones uh, after the 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 um, the drive uh, opens the portal, and Weir of course calls them all crazy. Um, they all start seeing it though, and you know I. I'm not, I don't, didn't take great note of all this and I kind of don't have all these straight, you know, Captain Miller played by Lawrence Fishburne. He is seeing visions of a friend of a comrade of his that I think he left um, to die uh, to help save himself and the rest of his crew. Uh, I mean, specifically to burn to death, which comes back late to, which comes, sorry, comes back later uh, in a, in a just absurd moment. Yeah. And then, you know, the medical technician, Peters, she sees her son. Um, there's a little bit of implied, like, Justin is kind of like her son in place of her dead son, something like that. Um, things like that. So, you know, again, Weir calls them all crazy. Um, and I think that unless I'm missing anything, really the next major beat of this movie is Justin escapes from Med Bay and tries to open the airlock with himself inside it. It's a, a way of, it's, it's one of those moments, it's like you haven't seen what I've seen, I need to kill myself because there is evil in this world that I have now been made aware of. Yeah, and he does that thing in sci-fi or I suppose any mystery story where he's very cryptic um, without cryptic and about to take a very extreme action, but kind of refuses to tell anyone anything specific that would yes. help them or save them in any way. Um, if this ship is so evil and everything's so horrible, why would he not warn these people he cares about? But yeah, again, go on. Yeah. So he, he succeeds in opening the airlock. He starts, you know, bleeding from the eyes, pretty much every orifice he has. Um, but Miller gets there in time to save him. And I think Justin kind of ends up in this kind of like comatose state. And I should also note that right before he, the airlock opens, he comes to it kind of, it's like he was in a trance and now he's very aware of what's going on. You see him just kind of freak out and it's, it's a little bit of a touching vulnerable moment for Justin before he gets sucked into space. But again, he gets saved and he's put in a comatose state. Um. Really, the next major thing that happens then is that the gravity drive starts to essentially call for Weir. Would you would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I would say it's calling for him more explicitly, whereas before it was kind of. Um, I mean, the ship's been calling to him the whole time. Now it's just kind of really ramping up. Um, it's it's like the ship has gone from casual text to like the ship is actually calling his phone. Yeah, uh, which we know nowadays you don't do that <laughs> unless you're pretty thirsty. Yeah, and then there's this like the moment that we were referring to earlier about DJ realizing that he was wrong about the translation. He approaches Captain Miller and said, "Oh, I was wrong. It's not. They're not trying to say save me. Uh, they're trying to say save yourselves from hell." Yeah, kind of left out like a good chunk of that message. Yeah. And yeah. then um, soon after that, they find a video of what uh, of what happened to the former crew of the Event Horizon, and I think there's a lot to discuss here. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, both the video, even though it's very brief, but also what we could have seen, both here and kind of peppered throughout the film. Yeah, and I, you know, to summarize, it's a blood orgy. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, people ripping their own eyes out, murdering each other, fornicating the the you know the old satanic bit. Um, I am not sure where I land on this. Generally, I like this a lot. I think they show they don't show that much, and it's some brief horrific imagery, and I think it's effective. I don't know whether or not I wanted to see less or more. And apparently there was much more, so much more, in fact, that the found footage scene was supposed to be more violent, longer, and Paul W.S. Anderson hired porn actors to make it even more explicit. Yes, yes. I I go back and forth on this because, again, it's one of those things that I think uh, viscerally, if you're kind of just casually watching this, I think it works. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it for two seconds, it makes no sense. Why would the footage be like this weird spliced together music video uh, montage of their blood orgy? Like, I think it would have been almost creepier if it was just regular kind of CCTV footage of parts of the ship showing showing like implied horrifying things like, you know, you seeing them raping and mutilating, mutilating someone like from behind or something like that. I think keeping the very explicit gore to like a dream sequence or a vision, I think would work better. Um, yeah, so I'm of two minds. I, I I like it from like a gore sense, from a horror movie unsettling sense. Logically, like a lot of things in this movie, it doesn't really track. I completely agree with you. And I, I think that you're absolutely right. It, sometimes I, for, for me, really, when you get to found footage, sometimes the more, the harder it is to see what's happening in the found footage or the older or like, you know, worse quality the found footage is, the creepier it is to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And so if they just had like, you know, like a, a camera, you know, the one camera in like the, the main like deck of the ship, just capture it. And you could just kind of, and they showed it like maybe for a solid, like, you know, couple minutes or a minute or so. And you could kind of make out what might be happening and just imagine like, you know, if there was just like, you, you almost see this kind of like blood orgy, even if it was in like black and white footage, I think that would be, much more viscerally disturbing yeah or like going along with that i think if they also showed footage of the original captain and he started or whoever on the original crew started acting kind of strange and saying kind of the same things as we're yeah i I think that would also connect better to what's going on in the plot as it is it's it's fine i like it um but I, i i think this whole movie feels like a, like an, an okay first draft. And I think like draft three would have been mm. good. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I could, I could get behind that. Um, and yeah, the, the video uh, ends in the captain of the ship ripping his eyes out and, and saying the line, the, the save yourselves from hell in, in Latin that is. Um, and, you know, very soon after that, we get the famous uh, Captain Miller line, fuck this ship, that, you know, delivered in a way that only Lawrence Fishburne can deliver. I, I mean, I, I mean, to be fair, I think Weir does want to fuck the ship. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, and so things, this is where things really start to escalate um, because this is a 90 minute movie and things really need to start escalating at a certain point. Um what, what exactly happens next? Oh, yeah. So, so Peters gets lured away. They're, they're trying to get out. 
Um, well, also, I mean, importantly, we should mention that um, the Event Horizon and the, the Lewis and Clark are physically docked to yes, one another. Yes, and we find out that Weir has uh, is planning to sabotage this and and put bombs, plant bombs to stop the Event Horizon or to really blow up the, um, the Lewis and Clark, right? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and he, I mean, he does. We can cut to that, Chase. Yeah. Yeah. He does. Well, yeah, he does do that. And I forgot if it's either right before or right after. Uh, Peters gets lured away by a vision of her son. And I think this is one of the funniest parts of the entire movie. She follows him in like, into like up this ladder and onto this like walkway. And she follows him so closely that she doesn't see where she's going. And she falls down to her death. Yeah. yeah. Which <laughs> makes me laugh every single time. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of... A lot of the death in this is silly. Really, really silly. Uh, I would say probably only like the DJ death is a is an effective death, even though it it's a little maybe drawn out a little bit too much. Um, so anyway, um, very soon or maybe immediately after that, oh yeah, Weir finds Peters' dead body, could not care less, even though he like almost seems to be trying to convince himself that he's sad about it for a moment. And he has a vision of his wife who we find out killed herself um, for reasons we don't know, but because this is a movie about a guy who's obsessed with something he made, I would say it's probably because he was a neglectful husband and was too busy at work. I would say you're giving the movie a lot of credit. Um, I, I think there's a way this could work um, and we will get to that. Yeah. So, and, and you know, at the end of this vision, he pulls his own eyes out. He sure does. And, <laughs> blo- yeah. and blows. Actually, I think it's after he pulls his eyes out that he blows up um, the umbilical, the, you know, the thing that is keeping the Lewis and Clark dock to the event horizon. And then, you know, how he blows up uh, the Lewis and Clark because he doesn't need eyes, you know? No. And I think the fact that you can't even remember what he does first uh, kind of shows how like, there's kind of just a shrug almost from like the very beginning of the movie where, the first time you kind of see Weir salivating over the event horizon and how much he loves it and how he designed it. I mean, you, you know, he's going to turn to be evil. And yeah. so it, it's just kind of like, all right, when is all of this going to happen? Yeah. I mean, the movie almost like shows its hand very explicitly. Right. I mean, at the very beginning of the movie, we get a, the movie opens with him having a bad dream where he's floating in the event horizon and he's all disfigured and such and he screams and after seeing it the first time it's super obvious at that moment and i I was like kicking myself the second time i saw it i was like oh obviously this was going to happen to him they basically know you well but maybe not you know because you could see that and you could think um you know he's going to be a victim yeah i guess some hindsight yeah in fact he's kind of both the victim but also the victimizer yeah so um, after he blows up Lewis and Clark, he very quickly kills the pilot, Smitty, and DJ. Uh, DJ in particular, he grabs him with his super strength. And we should also mention that by this point, Weir not only has no eyes, he has carved markings and cut, cut himself up quite heavily. Um, yeah, let's, let's camp on that for a second. Sure. Uh, looks cool or not? Uh, no. I, okay, I have to I have to disagree. I think he looks kind of cool. I um, I I think and I think it's because and I I think maybe the movie knows this and I, and I shouldn't say it doesn't look cool overall. I think we get a little bit 
I think it's better in glimpses. And the longer I look at it, the more obvious it is to me that it's makeup. And I don't, I don't know. I just want, I want to see a little bit less of it, or maybe, maybe the makeup is a little overdone. I, I can see that. I, I definitely like this version of him better than the, the like kind of Lord of hell he becomes later. Yes. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he kills DJ. He uh, vivisects him. If that's the right pronunciation of that word. Um, he, hangs him from the yeah. ceiling and his with his uh, intestines all dripped about. Right. I mean, yeah, but also why? Like at this point, there's kind of a ticking clock. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Why? <laughs> but go on. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, from that um, that short story, No Exit, Hell is other people, don't you know? I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so so um, I think Miller and Lieutenant Stark or Stark, I don't know how to pronounce her name, find Weir sitting in the captain's chair, eyeless. And he gives a little bit of a monologue about the ship and talking about where it's been. And let me just say, we don't deserve Sam Neill. He sells this pretty well. It's, a, it's, it's silly, like a lot of things in this movie. Uh, he has that great line where we're going, we won't need eyes to see. Which, yeah, and again, like, I think if this had been cast differently, no one would even know this movie existed. Yeah. And, and I, I like this monologue. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, he we he very bluntly says things that we were meant to expect at this point, which if we didn't make it explicitly clear before, the drive that allows the event horizon to travel through space and time, which again, you know, sorry, quick tangent, that whole spiel he does about sticking the pen, like folding a piece of paper and folding space and sticking something through it, that's been done in like four movies at least, and I think including Interstellar. Um, and probably also one of the alien movies. I'm fine um, with that though. Um, yeah, I mean, of all the it's problems, is, yeah, I, I'm fine with it, but yeah. go on. So, um, did okay, yeah, quick question. Um, did this drive take them to a dimension of pure bliss? It, uh, no, it did not actually. Um, sorry, you're wrong. Um, good guess though, it's actually the opposite. Uh, so the drive when they when they used it it opened them up to another dimension outside of the known universe um which 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 by the way is the definition of a different dimension you're right you're right uh and it is implied to be hell until it is explicitly stated to be hell and i don't know how much i love the idea of them explicitly calling it hell like we're not stupid well, also, he calls it a dimension of pure evil. Yes. Which, okay. D- didn't like that line. No. D- not a good line. This movie needs to give its audience a little bit of credit and let them use their imagination a little bit. Um, uh, but they rationally talk through their problems and decide to go their separate ways. And the movie ends. Yeah. And that was a good episode. Um so- so I, I forgot to note earlier that when the Lewis and Clark gets blown up, it knocks Cooper far away from the rest, from the event horizon. He finds a way to come back, you know, using his, I don't know, propulsion system on his suit or something like that. And in another pretty fucking stupid moment of the movie, he comes back, starts banging on the front window of the event horizon, 
and Weir shoots through the window with like a harpoon gun. I yeah, I always assumed it was a nail gun, but oh, I think you're right. You're right. It is. I don't know where I'm getting harpoon from, but I well, I mean, it's like a comically large thing that shoots a big like nail slash harpoon yeah it's it's like a it's a weird thing to have float like you know on a spaceship i mean yeah. it, it makes sense they have to have nails but it, sure why not yeah and this knocks cooper away again uh and it sucks we're out of the room um but miller and stark escape yeah like creating a really stupid like they got him but no they didn't like the movie there's still like 20 minutes left well is there because I only have one note after this, and it's Weir versus Miller in core room is what it says. Well, right. But what I'm saying is, like, the movie for the briefest instant plays with the idea of, like, oh, they got, you know, Weir's gone. He got sucked out into space. He can yeah. come back. Yeah. I, for a second, though, I did think that maybe there was a whole, like, boring part of the movie that I completely missed. Um, or I just got bored of taking notes. Um. So yeah, so uh, you know Miller makes his way to the core room, and I think his goal is to blow up the event horizon, right? Yeah, and on the way, he sees the ghost of uh, like the guy he left behind. Um, who is this? Where it happens? Where he's all on fire and it's insane and absurd. Yeah, and then that vision sort of turns into a resurrected Weir, though. Right. Yeah, yes. and then Weir and Miller fight. It's a little... uh, we should we should describe Weir at this point. Yeah, Weir is naked, uh, and covered in long, deep cuts. Uh, yeah, and the core room itself is now like on fire. Somehow. on right somehow on fire because hell because hell. Also, again, that like pool of water that's there for some reason it's now, red now it's red. It looks cool. It like reflects yeah. the fire, and I. I don't know. Is it blood? I, like it, it makes no sense. Um, I mean, it, I will say like, if you just showed me like this set with no context, I'd be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. If, if you can get over the fact that the core room is a little fucking ridiculous looking. Well, right. With no context though. If you just yeah. showed me like, here's, oh, yeah, this, right. here's this like really creepy sci-fi room. I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and during this fight, we're, grabs miller's head i think and shows him visions of hell like like brief visions of like his crewmates being tortured um maybe other people he knows being tortured and just other disturbing images which i i think is effective yeah which is like that's what i wanted for um the footage they find like it that should have been yeah visions yeah agreed um but so during this fight miller blows up the ship he, he hits the detonator sacrifices himself you get the whole weird yelling no um and yeah the event horizon blows up uh yes peters makes it or i'm sorry not peters uh tough lady scientist uh stark stark yes. stark cooper and and then also justin are remain alive and go into hypersleep Yes. And then tell us about the very tasteful ending. The very tasteful ending is they come out of hypersleep um, and people, uh, sorry, I should also know that the explosions shot the passenger portion of the event horizon, uh, separated it um, because that's how the ship was designed. So that's where they all are. And the rescue team comes. And when 
Stark is let out of the um, her pod or whatever, she notices that the one of the rescue team members is weird. But no, that's just a bad dream. I mean, guys, we're almost done with the movie. It's like, like they had no idea how to end the movie. No. Yeah. And then, well, actually, I okay. So it's funny you say that because I actually think the way they do end it is good. Um, so yeah, yeah including tell- that part, or just the fact that you know she she has that nightmare. She wakes up, and the rescue team actually does come, and she's in she's panicking, and Cooper's trying to calm her down. Well, no, I think the actual final moment before the credits where the rescue team is there, the real one, she's awake. It's not a dream. And Cooper is telling her it's okay. We're safe. We're safe. As the doors silently close on them. I, I, I like that. I think that works. Yeah, I I, I agree. It's it's the dream where it's just weird. I I don't really like that. No. Um, But yeah, that's a, that's event horizon. Well, can we also talk about the, horrible horrible like credits music yes yeah it's like this like weird like metal music kind of i I don't even know what to call it it's like it's like you're taking a tour in a like a factory well and it too it completely robs that last moment of the door silently closing absolutely it's it's just we're safe we're safe doors silently closed to their doom and then this like meow, 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 meow. <laughs> like re- absolutely ridiculous like 1997 pseudo not even death metal like it's horrible yeah yep totally agree yeah so that's the plot um yeah do we want to live in this world I- i'm gonna say no well what well, what works we got to talk about what works oh i'm sorry I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm just i'm, I'm kidding we had it no worries um, yeah, what works? So I've thought a lot about this movie and it's, I, I, I do like it. I really like it. <laughs> um, but I also dislike it for many reasons. So many of the things that I think don't work could work with like a, with like a tweak or two. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I, I told you how I like the design of the ship from the outside, from the inside, it does not work because it looks like a ship that's designed to be creepy in a space horror movie. Yeah. I think it could work. Um, I'll just kind of go through everything. Basically nothing works. <laughs> um, uh, I'll go through everything that doesn't work. And then I'll kind of give you my tweak of how all of it kind of could work. And then it can. Sure. Be so the, the design of the ship does not work. Um, it, 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 it makes no sense. No one would design a ship to look like that. Uh, I think it looks creepy, but it doesn't work logically. I think the characters don't work. Um, they get like just enough to be maybe not interesting, but I guess have some motivation, uh, but they don't work. Um, I think, I will say, I think the acting works. I think it's a little hammy, but I think it works. I think the cast works. Yep, I agree. Uh, I The plot doesn't work. Um, I think what could tweak everything is I think the length also doesn't work. I think it's too short. Uh, I, well, I, which sounds insane um, because large chunks of it are boring and horrible. Um, But I think what could make everything work is, you know, what if, 
what if we knew more about the creation of the event horizon? We knew more about Sam Neill's character. What if there was some kind of weird occult thing going on with the creation of it? What if it was designed uh, to go into this hell dimension and that was kind of like a secret and no one knew that? Or what if Weir's wife was like involved in a cult and was influencing him subconsciously or through some kind of weird like dark magic ritual? Mm -hmm. That would explain why the ship looks like it does because it was purposely designed that way. Um, I think if we had more time with the characters before they were on the the event horizon, um, like fleshing out, especially the ones that see dead loved ones, like what it is about the dead loved ones that makes them make the choices they do on the event horizon. I think if this were, it's a, in a really weird position lengthwise, uh, 90 minutes is too short. I think like three hours is too long for a feature film. Yeah. If this were like three 80 minute episodes of like a very small mini series, I think that would work. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of the ship being this like creation, like by, you know, an otherworldly cosmic cult, but we don't get that. And there's so much like weird stuff that would make that work. Like, um, why is the ship like seemingly seducing him? It doesn't really make sense in the movie as is. Why does he have a dream of the event horizon? Like in this prophetic way, if all he did was design the drive, like, and you know that was before you know he didn't design the drive knowing it would go to the hell dimension right so why does he have this connect connection to the ship before he even encounters it like there's a lot of stuff that would it would make a lot more sense if he or the crew had a past history with the ship or and or the ship was like designed by a cult to do this um yeah, like I think if you tweaked things that way, you have a movie that could work. As it is, I don't think anything really does. Okay. Um, I, I still like it. Um, I think this movie is great um, to have on, but I don't think it's a great movie to watch, if that makes sense. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I, you know, I a couple things on what you said before I talk about what I, what I think works. Um, and some of it's related. I actually... Would pref- I, w- I would like it more if it wasn't something that was designed for this kind of purpose or there was any sinister, like overtly sinister mo- like motivation in designing this. But the, I mean, but then why does the ship look like it does on the inside? Agreed. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's an affront to all the senses. Um, it's not the, it's not, it's not a great looking ship, but I just mean like the, the, the technology of the drive in general. I love the idea of we're having designed this thing that ends up, you know, creating a, in a portal to another dimension. Um, and to that kind of point, I really do like the hints of that Lovecraftian, like cosmic ish horror of this movie. It kind of, Hmm. It's, I mean, it's not though. It's not. It's explicitly unlovecraftian. Well, in that, okay. like, it for for Lovecraft, it would be like a a dimension of cosmic terror, which they kind of faint to, but then they're just like, no, it's hell. Which which Lovecraft would be like, no, like to to say that there's a hell 
kind of robs the like cosmic infinity of its horror. You're right. And, and, and I mean it less about the cosmic nature of it. And, and again, this is also me being guilty of like kind of turning this movie into what I want it to be. And then like commenting critically on that, or like, it's, it's like, I'm in love with a different version of this movie that doesn't actually exist. But I just mean like the idea, the, the feet, like this other dimension that again, and I'm not calling it hell. Maybe that I am just in denial that there's the kind of fear of what you can't fully see or comprehend. And then you get those kinds of glimpses of what hell might be like, but the idea of there is the, this kind of, you know, again, we quite literally at one point reference a gateway to hell, but the terrors of hell are still, you know, kind of unknowable and perhaps beyond our level of understanding our comprehension of pain. And that, that kind of thing in movies gets to me a little bit. I, I, it, it kind of tickles that, uh, that, horror nerve for me and so so the idea of not knowing what lies beyond that gateway and kind of imagining what more of maybe what the event horizon crew went through um is a little fascinating to me and i think it's kind of effective horror um i i think that i mean i like that weir isn't just like a regular guy unfamiliar with the core and becomes like corrupted by its by its majesty but, it's but evil majesty. But he designed it. No, I know. No, I'm saying I like that he's not like that. I like it's, I think it's uh, better that he's intimately familiar with the design and then perhaps thus more like easily corrupted by it. And so I, I always kind of imagined him. And again, this is me just reading stuff into it. And it'd be nice to have some of this information that I just imagine him like, you know, he's he's not a modest guy. He's a quiet guy, but he's not modest. And he is very like obsessed with his own intellect in creating something like this. And it's almost like I, I, you, you can't help but wonder that he's aware, maybe he's the only one aware of the potential consequences of this. Not to say like open up a portal to hell, but just the idea that this could go wrong or this could, this could show us things that we're not meant to see. And I, I just like the idea of him kind of proceeding with its design, with that knowledge and, you know, it being sent off into space. And then when it disappeared, I can imagine him being very aroused by that thought. And the, uh, when given the opportunity to find it, like, can you imagine him just like finding out that there was, that they found the event horizon and that there was a transmission received when he received this like mission, I can imagine him being excited beyond excited. And so, you know, to, to almost like revisit the event horizon and almost kind of be reunited with the technology that he created um, and almost it, it's, it's weird. Like it, it, the performance that Sam Neill gives it almost, again, I hope I'm not just reading so much more into this and maybe I am. Well, and, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, I think those are all really cool ideas, but I think that's you meeting the movie way more than halfway. I mean, <laughs> the movie doesn't not wrong. Doesn't do that. Like if the movie opened with Sam Neill waking up and getting, like the message, hey, the, the you know, we found the event horizon and him just having this like really creepy smile on his face, fine. Or again, as, you know, if this were like a three part, you know, 80 minute each, you know, mini series, you, you could do that. You could show Weir kind of being full of himself on earth, inventing this thing and kind of show his intellect being his downfall. But in the actual movie, he's smug but all of that is left kind of for you to that's like, that's all headcanon. Right. Um, yeah. But sorry, go on. No, it, you know, it's, I mean, that's, that's all 
you're right. I'm meeting the movie more than halfway. Um, but I just I do think that Sam Neill plays this character well enough where it's not totally unreasonable to say that he I mean, he very clearly has a morbid curiosity about this. And it's it's almost like he 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 knows that it might have been capable of doing that. And I think that he's able to communicate that with his acting. And, and again, I don't know that this, it's not, it's not necessarily the most difficult thing to convey as an actor, but I think he does it really well. And I, I, I like his character, even in the moments where it gets a little silly. And again, like I mentioned before, he deliver delivers that kind of evil monologue in a very effective way. I agree. I think it's like a weird tightrope to walk because he has to be believable and not likable, I guess, but believable and normal enough at the beginning and then he has to be able to like make that turn to full like insanity at the end. Yeah. But it's that middle part where he has to kind of transition that a lesser actor, I don't think would have been able to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the only other note I had about what works, I think some shots look nice. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm with you that like the event horizon itself, like the interior is mostly ridiculous. Um, I, I kind of like like, you know, the, the, the more normal looking parts of it, just really basically just the, um, where the, the crew quarters is, but even that's a little, a little more ridiculous, but you know, I mean, a lot of movie or a lot of money went into like building sets and stuff. And I think that lends itself well, like the Lewis and Clark is a cool looking ship um, on the interior, you know, it's all very alien looking. I get it, but I think that it, you know, that lends some of itself to more realism. I mean, there's obviously some dated CGI, but I mostly forgive it. Um, but you know, I mean, like you said before, I think you're right. It would be better if they didn't like, you know, show like the portal and shitty late nineties CGI and such. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, less is more. Um, yeah. But uh, let's say we made this into a video game. Uh, they kind of did. It's called Dead Space. Um, yeah. Uh, and I mean, I think that's what I would go with. I think I would change it to, I mean, basically this movie could just be a prequel to Doom, essentially. Yep. Um, which is kind of how I imagined it. I imagined if this were to be a video game, um, I think it would be cool to do um, the basically the plot of this movie Um as kind of a dead spacey prequel to doom mm-hmm. um and the enemies you fight could be you know transformed scientists and then eventually you get to demons and then you get to the core and it you know it's this gateway to an evil dimension mm-hmm. uh, aka hell but uh this movie is again i like it i like it a lot but it is cut and paste of a lot of other like sci-fi stuff and i think a video game that was kind of cut and paste of a lot of other video game sci-fi stuff uh i think would be fitting for sure. Uh, and I, I actually went a different way with this, with the, um, and again, it's, I don't know if we very clearly define, I don't, we don't really have any clearly defined lines for this type of segment. And I, I think it's, we're, we're better off that way too. Cause I kind of like, I think before we've kind of gone outside of um, what we might normally expect from each other for this. And I might've done that here. I, I went with just a straight psychological horror game. You're not, you're not a member of the crew necessarily. You could be maybe like a member of, or sorry, the member of the Lewis and Clark crew. I kind of like the idea of the gateway being open. And this, again, this is just me rewriting parts of like the movie, but you know, the gateway is open and it's instead of just, you know, an immediate 
blood orgy type situation. It's like a very slow burn psychological horror game of the crew slowly going insane. And this kind of idea, it's like, a, like in, the, in the same vein as like amnesia, dark descent and internal darkness, where you are kind of like a, a character going crazy. I'm also going to reference Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth, which is a game I've watched most of but never played myself. But it, it, it's, I like the idea of interacting with the crew over the course of a video game and kind of seeing everybody start to go a little crazy and you start having visions and you're maybe asked to do odd jobs around this giant gaping ship and, and, you know, starting to see more and more creepy visions and just a game that's very dedicated to fucking with you almost in kind of like the same way as like PT did. Um, and yeah, and then maybe at the end, it kind of gets a little bananas um, and blood orgy esque. Um, but at that point, I feel like it might, you know, a video game like that could earn those moments. I agree. I like that as well. Um, yeah, I, I would play that. But yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I initially always think about like, what, what, how would I just adapt the, the literal movie that we just watched? And I couldn't, I just wasn't like, I don't know if this movie would deserve a video game adaptation. But then again, in some ways, it probably would be better. As a, I mean, as I, video, you know, as I, I, I think as a one, I think as a one to one adaptation, I think it could work as like a VR kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like what a, short... a point and click adventure. <sighs> okay. <laughs> um, would you, would you take a trip to the event horizon? Would you live in this world? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, uh, yeah, no, 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 no. Would you go to um, would you want to go to hell? Would you? Be- uh, I mean, I think I'm. I think I'm going there. So okay. I mean, I'll just put it off. Yeah. Um. I do. I do like the idea of um. Like as you said, it's kind of a general sci-fi conceit of uh, like you know, warping space and time to go to other places. Uh, but I wouldn't want to go there. I'd send yeah. you know, like a drone. But um, yeah, no, this is a world that I, I think safely we both do not want to exist in. No, thank you. Um, but is this a world that warrants fan fiction? Oh my goodness, it does. I, yeah, I, okay, I really think it does. Uh, again, I think this movie works in the broad strokes. I think it has some really good big ideas. Uh, like I just said, the, the portal that takes you across space and time to another world. I think that's really cool as a sci-fi trope. Um, I think the characters, like we said, they're 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 not the best but they're also given kind of enough traits to not be total paper cutouts uh-huh. so i think uh if there's any fan fiction that explores them further i think that's warranted yeah there's not a ton um but there is fan fiction of this film um tell me what you found okay yeah so I, I actually did uh, more heavy research into fan fiction than I normally do. Um, the most notable thing I found, and I didn't look super hard because I knew that you would find something lovely, as you always do, um, is this ridiculous mashup between Event Horizon and Marvel, the MCU. And it is essentially replacing all of the characters in this movie with people from the MCU and then adding some of them too. Like Dr. Weir is Tony Stark. And his dad, I mean, I pepper pots. I see that. And, and what, but you know, it's very one-to-one in a lot of these ways. There's a couple like, you know, moments where there's like references to the MCU, 
other than just the characters' names and such, and the, you know the fact that who they are, you know, like Peters is Wanda Maximoff, and I, I don't know. But to me, the funniest, the most notable part about this is really the only part I flagged to talk about. Uh, what is the fact that for some reason they gave there's an entire there's a subplot of Sam Wilson Falcon, uh, Steve Rogers. And the Winter Soldier, Bucky Barnes, being in a like a threesome, a, like a polygamous gay relationship. <laughs> I mean, the one thing missing from Event Horizon. There, there's like there's a uh, there's a line that's like Sam definitely had woken up on woken up better on previous days. This was definitely one of the worst. All he knew that one moment he was still in the middle of his favorite Super Soldier sandwich. Then he was being woken rudely up by Fury. And by the way, Nick Fury is the Captain Miller Lawrence Fishburne role in this. In this, so it's and like it, again, not related to Event Horizon, but like it's like we cut to like this like spa erotic spa sex fact like sex resort that they're all staying at. It's just unnecessary. Um, yeah, and yeah, I think that was probably everything worth noting about that i mean it's it's what you would might expect there's a lot of references to the mcu movies um from what i read and it is a lot of it is just very one-to-one the only other thing i found that it just i almost didn't even want to bring it up but it's just so ridiculous uh it's just this tiny 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 uh short story called a man question mark in parentheses walks into a bar i'm so glad you found that did you find that too i i I did (laughs) i love it do you want to talk about it i i I would almost rather um yeah uh so it includes a summary uh which seems unnecessary because it's only (laughs) i love it i laugh out loud it's only 387 words but the summary is i am firmly of the opinion that william william weir could really use a drink i don't disagree (laughs) i I agree yeah, I, I like that this author seems to be very intimately um, aware of William Weir's, you know, state of mind and person. So uh, William Weir decides to get a drink in Mo's Isley's cantina. I think it's which... Mo Isley's, and I couldn't tell if that was a well, typo or if it's Mo like Mo's Bar and Simpsons. Like, oh, it's yeah. Mo, Mo Isley's place. I, I, I don't know. I mean, with fan fiction, it's like spelling and grammar errors are rampant. So maybe it is Mo Isley's. I don't know. Um, Because it does say it's fictional namesake. So I think it is Mo Isley's. But he uh, gets drunk and then rants about... I'll just read the rant. Yeah. A wormhole... This is all caps. A wormhole is a portal through another reality. Kind of. It is not true that something akin to hell is possible reality for it to go through. Is it not possible that an alcubarri drive might warp space in such a way that it is dangerous to travel through too many throughs there william damn it <laughs> um yeah let's yeah what, what what did you think of this uh i i mean i loved this uh i had a lot of questions i want to know what brought william weir to this bar and why he is suddenly maybe subdued the evil persona of it. like a you know, the William Weir we left off with before he was blown up in the ship would have come into this bar and like fornicated and then ripped with everybody and then ripped out their intestines through their mouths, you know? So why is he, why is he getting a drink? 
I, I why is he ranting? Why does he want an ear, you know, a shoulder to cry on? I don't know. I don't know. But speaking of crossovers, uh, I found this one that oh, is wait, before you before we go into that one, the line I re- I also laughed at where the, the bartender kind of observes or like the 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 patrons of the bar observe him and why his face is all cut up. And one says shaving accident. Uh, and then Weir said, "Very people, very few people shave their eyeballs." <laughs> I, 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 did, I did like that. Yeah. Anyway, um, the other one I found. Uh, let's see, what is it called? Uh, it's just called Event Horizon by At- very original At- Atomsk, the Pirate King. Mm. Uh, I, I'm actually really disappointed because it's only two chapters. Uh, it has two favorites and only one follow. <laughs> um, so not a lot of people are into it. Uh, so it opens up with, uh, or, you know, over the planet Neptune, uh, you know, it, it, first of all, it opens in second person. So at the planet Neptune, you can see lightning followed by thunder. Then you see a ship inside. Everything is floating, bumping in against walls and other things. So it opens almost like a choose your own adventure. It makes no sense. Yeah. But we have a flashback. Um, who do you think is the lead scientist character in this story? And this is this is a member of the Lewis and Clark that were. Uh, aware no, of? no, no, no. This is a member of. Oh, the, this is a crossover. Yeah, it's a crossover. This is a member of the Erebus. I think this is like a reimagining where a different ship contacts the Event Horizon. Uh, this is the vessel Erebus. And you're and so who is the lead researcher? Who, who's like the the lead main character for these two chapters? Uh, I'm hoping it's not like a in a reference to like Alien. It's not like Ridley. No, it's Alien. no, it's Miles Tails Prower. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Tell the people where Miles Tails Prower is from. Uh, from Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, he he is. <laughs> he is Sonic's two-tailed uh, fox friend. Um, I'll give you a brief rundown of the rest of the characters. I don't know where a lot of them are from, but they're all anthropomorphized animals from either video games or cartoons. The first one is Cedric Middleton, who's a 37-year-old hedgehog. (laughs) Cedric Middleton. Then there's Talwin Apogee, who is, I don't even know what this is, a female Marzakian. There's Nicole Watterson, the 47-year-old cat from California. <laughs> There's Gumball Watterson, which that's that's a cartoon thing, right? Gumball? Uh, maybe? I believe it is. There's 41-year-old London crocodile Errol Smith. <laughs> and, then the, and then there's Ratchet from the Ratchet and Clank <laughs> who apparently is 26. Uh, and then there's there's a raccoon who is a trauma doctor who's 38 named TJ Jenkins. I God, I, I, <laughs> I, I love the internet so much. This is this is is always goes beyond my expectations. You could give you could have given me a thousand guesses for who the lead scientist would be, and I wouldn't have guessed Miles. Um, so it's only two chapters. Uh, I don't think they're adding anything to this because it was last updated in 2014. But um, chapter two ends with them coming into contact with the event horizon. So it ends on a real cliffhanger. Yeah. It's a lot like the uh, Snyder Cut Justice League in that yep. way. But um, okay, so I, I, I don't know why, <laughs> but uh, they also receive the, the cryptic uh, 
like message that says save me I can't explain how or why I mean there's a lot about this I can't explain how or why but uh the 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 message is in a different language uh what what language do you think they changed it to and and why um Klingon no it's in Russian oh um because duh it's in Russian, including the weird Russian letters that I don't know what they mean. Uh, but the transmission is in Russian. Okay. And apparently only TJ, uh, TJ, the let's go back, TJ Thomas Jenkins, the 38-year-old trauma doctor raccoon from Philadelphia can read. <laughs> it's, um, there are worse things to do with your time. And if you enjoy cannabis, I, you know, I, there are worse things to do with your time than read this. I I think that you might need to just ad- adapt this into a full book. I mean, I'm going to find Atomsk the Pirate King and demand that I'm I'm going <laughs> to fo- I'm going to follow this. I'm going to I'm going to join the one other person who's following it. Um here's some comments. Not a bad start, but it could use some work. For one, there are a number of grammatical errors. <laughs> Plus, there's very little in the way of description. You know, we don't know for sure, but it's possible that this guy, this author, might have ripped his own eyes out at the end of this very obvious acid trip he was on when he came up with this. I mean, I think we need eyes, though, to see where this is going. We need to, we need to see. Yeah. Speaking of eyes, I can't wait till we do Bloodborne. Uh, yeah, yeah. So next week. Uh, no. Um, not yet no not yet um what have you been doing uh watching or gaming oh my gosh i um let's see i have been playing enter the gungeon again because it's fantastic and i would say it's probably one of my favorite video games of the last 10 years that i've played um i love it dearly um other than that Miranda and I have been watching, re, I've been re-watching, she's been watching Catastrophe, which is a very funny show on Amazon uh, starring Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan as a, it, he plays an American who goes to London and hooks up with um, her and gets her pregnant and then moves to London to help take care of the baby. Yeah, my sister raves about that show. I've seen, I think, the first two episodes. Uh, from what I've seen, it's very funny. Um, very talented people. Um, yes. That's, yeah, that's one I'm going to finish. It's very, awesome. very funny and very rewatchable, I've come to find. I am loving it. Uh, I think that the dialogue is great. I just, I, I love the story of the show because apparently both of them met on Twitter and were like, hey, you're funny, you're funny. Let's meet and talk about what projects we could do together. And then this show came from that. So, yeah, I, I, after that, um, I'm kind of drawing a blank on what else I've been doing. I guess I, I watched um, the Harrison Ford as Jack Ryan movie, uh, Patriot Games. I had never seen that before. Yet another movie where Sean Bean dies. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, excellent. I have been on a real Monster Hunter kick as of late. Um, you know who directed the Monster Hunter movie? Oh, well, we'll get there someday. <laughs> in either one of us will die, or we will cover that movie in 2059. Should we do Paul W.S. Anderson's entire, um, you know, filmography? 
You know, I've actually uh, toyed with the idea of doing a two-part episode where we just watch all six Resident Evil movies and episode one is us talking about one through three and episode two is us talking about four, five, and six. Um, but I feel like we will also have families who love us. Yeah. Um, so we don't have to do that. <laughs> um, I So I've been playing Monster Hunter Stories again uh, yeah. for 3DS in preparation of Monster Hunter Stories 2 which is coming out in July. Also, I really, really want us to do that game at some point. It's okay. a really charming, uh, short, basic RPG. Uh, but Capcom, uh, I've come to find lately, is knocks it out of the park when it comes to production and charm, uh, which is also why I'm very excited for Resident Evil 8 uh, that's coming out. Um, and you should do Resident Evil 7 at some point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd actually really love to do Resident Evil like 6 like one of the really bad ones or zero you know that's funny i i six is the like the only one i haven't played and that would give you an excuse to play it yeah six or zero because uh i mean actually six is way more fun yeah Uh, zero is not fun to play no um and then console wise i caved and bought monster hunter rise uh i was playing monster hunter world which is extremely good uh but i was like but rise there's more people playing online that i could play with um and i can't control myself um so i've been playing that it's really good um world i think overall is better um but rise you can tell was definitely designed for the switch um meaning that the missions like in world a mission can take you 50 minutes uh because the levels are so huge uh and the monsters are very difficult to take down you can tell in rise uh the missions are much more bite-sized and they're more conducive to short bursts of playing mm-hmm. and because i have no attention span uh i like that yeah you know you talking about monster hunter last week got me looking up um kind of footage from the game of monster hunter rise and it, or monster hunter world and it looks it looks interesting i'm not super into the idea of boss fights taking as long as they apparently take in that game um but i you know i only saw so much so i'm not you know who am i to say anything about the game we uh we can have a very long conversation off air at another time where i pitch you on why monster hunter is good uh and why i i hated it initially and bounced off of it and how i came around to it yeah i mean i'm 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 happy to hear that yeah um before we I, i once you're done and before we talk about what we're doing next week, I have one other note that I, uh, there, I forgot. There were a couple of things I, about this movie that don't work that I thought should be noted. Um, it, it kind of, it, it will kind of segue into my final thoughts about the movie. Um, so when, any, whenever, whenever you're done. Yeah. Well, I'll actually start that because something sure. I kind of brought up that I kind of uh, forgot to explicitly explain is um like I think Paul W.S. Anderson either wants to mash genres together or I think he tries to make a movie one way and lets producers and studios kind of force him to shoehorn in other kinds of things. So for a perfect example is when um, Cooper gets launched into space and basically says something to the effect of like, you know, like, well mondays or like yeah somebody or like i'm too black for this shit or like something insane where you're like that either was paul ws anderson trying to be funny or a studio is like uh this is too dark like throw something funny in there yes um and if you look at his other movies which i really i've only ever seen mortal Kombat and resident evil besides mm-hmm. this 
Mortal Kombat is very much all camp and that works. Resident Evil does kind of what this does where it's like, is it only a thriller? No. Is it kind of campy? Also, yes. Um, Does it try to be serious? Yes. Does that work? No. Like it, it tries to be like psychological thriller, action thriller, kind of funny like it just tries to be all these genres mashed together and it it just doesn't work yeah and again it's like i i don't know is that him as the director i don't i don't know because mortal Kombat is pretty much like all camp all the time so i i don't know i don't know that's my thought i i just it's one of the reasons the movie doesn't work i think if it picked a tone and really stuck to it um, I think it would have been more successful. Yes. Again, we talked about how and at what point in the process to save this movie. You could add that to the list. I don't know if they just picked a lane and stuck with it. Yeah. Who knows? It's so funny you say that because what you just said is eerily close to exi- like what I was about to say too. I, I think that Paul W.S. Anderson needed to show more directing restraint and writing restraint. He, it's like he, he lacks the restraint that you would need to make a horror movie in the same like kind of mind of Kubrick or John Carpenter. It's like, it, it's like he set out to make a horror movie here, but was actively suppressing the entire time an urge to direct the movie like an action movie. And that's how, and that's what I thought when I first saw Resident Evil. And man, was I disappointed by that movie when I first saw it. I, was go, I did not go in expecting a, uh, an action movie. Um, and I certainly would not really call it a horror movie. This well, is more of a horror movie, but you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, it seem like he is just really trying. It's like, he's trying to blend genres, but still call this a horror movie. Yeah. I think, I think fighting himself is a really good way of putting it because again, in resident evil, like it plays with kind of big picture, interesting ideas but then like in the minutia in the actual scene by scene, it just like, it doesn't work and it doesn't follow through on any of that promise. Yeah. Uh, and there's I, like, there's camera movement and just choices made in this movie that are better suited for an action movie. When sometimes the best thing to do in a horror movie is to just frame it right and let the camera sit still a little bit or do, you know, you know, strategic pans and tilts this, he's, very clearly directing this kind of like someone who just got off the heels of an action movie. Yeah. And would kind of continue to only go down that lane. For oh the rest yeah. Of his Until career. he just completely embraced it and made monster hunter. One of the most critically panned movies of last year. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. So what are we doing next week? Uh, let's have it be a surprise. All right. We didn't decide. <laughs> uh, did we? I forget. I, I think nap. we did. Oh, I mean, oh, well, I, I think we had decided. We were oh, we did. Yes. Final yeah, Fantasy sorry, VII. We did. Yeah. Final Fantasy VII, a game that. Uh, Nobody knows. Nobody's heard of it. We're going to talk about it. Um, um, yeah. It's, uh, it's a little known gem um, <laughs> from a studio called Square. Yeah. Um, who I heard in the news today is looking at uh, at selling themselves. I heard that as well. And then I just recently heard that they said that that's bullshit. I mean, they're not actually doing that. But we'll who, who's to say? Yeah. So. Maybe we'll buy it. 
at some point. Yeah. Um, all right. Until next time. Thanks for gaming and watching with us. Yes. And um, take care. Take care. <laughs>